Amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand this morning? Great God. Hey, can you turn to each other as you're being seated and just say, hey, I'm really glad you're here today. Do that, would you? I'm really glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them and turn to Psalm 23? Before I jump in this morning, can I do a, a little side? I'm going to pop out for a quick announcement. We've been really blessed. We have uh, watched the Lord adding to our family here at Colonial Woods, and uh, uh, we thought this might happen, and it started to happen last week where our parking lot going into the second service and third service became a little, little full, and we were having some trouble parking. In fact, we had some folks last week that circled a few times, and then they decided to, to, to go home, I guess. And, and um, so can you help me out? My dad always had this philosophy we parked as far out as it was humanly possible. And I always asked my dad, why don't we get here first? Why don't we park up front? And he said, you know, Phil, he said, there are other folks who need to park a little closer because of their health and such. We, we can park out a little further. So if you help, happen to be a, a younger person, or if you happen to be like me, which every day my phone says, Phil, you didn't make your steps today. You can do it. You can complete the circle. And I don't very often. But anyway, if you uh, need a little extra uh, help, if you want to park out in the back parking lot or if you want to park at the park next door, we're going to start encouraging our staff and volunteers to just kind of park out a little bit. Um, that would be a service to other folks who are maybe not quite as, as able as you are. If you park up front, don't feel bad about that at all. But that's my little public service announcement this morning if you want to help us with that. I have this vision of teenagers parking across the road. So anyway, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. Been on a, a journey called God's Table. Began as we talked about uh, the question, who, who else is at your table? God's table is always intended not just for us, but for others. And God places them in our life. And last week we went on a little bit of a journey as we talked about the fact that God is, uh, His table is a place of peace. And that even when we're in the presence of those who want to do us harm, and how do we find the peace? As Jesus says, I give a peace, but it's a peace that the world doesn't give. It's a different kind of peace. And today I want to talk about the place of abundance. There was an article done several years ago, and the author entitled it, Googling for God, Googling for God. And uh, you may be shocked to find this out, but Google actually keeps track of everything that you search for. And uh, so he did a little research with the company and uh, found out the, the list of the top ways that people Google for God. The first uh, one in the list was simply, who created God? That was a question that was asked quite a bit, and uh, I understand why people would have that question. The second one makes a lot of sense as well. Why does God allow suffering? You, you may have even Googled that before. Why, why does God allow suffering? The third one kind of breaks my heart. Why does God hate me? Number three, Google search for God. Why does God hate me? And there are some of us maybe who are here today or maybe you know folks who the way they view God is that God likes some people, doesn't care for others. And if you're fortunate enough to be those that God shines blessing upon, great. But for the vast majority, God has kind of got it out for us and He's not really our friend. And today's message speaks directly to that. It breaks my heart because... God's Word tells us that God is the God who pours out abundant favor. And uh, if you were with us at Easter, 
um, people ask me all the time, Pastor, you preach the same thing every service? And I, I do essentially preach the same message, and yet messages have a way of morphing. And so depending on what service you came to on Easter, there was a very different focus that the message began to evolve and morph during the weekend. It was something God was speaking to me about. And it, it went back to that passage that we began the year with out of Mark chapter 3. And if you remember the story in Mark, or Mark chapter 5, in Mark chapter 5, a guy by the name of Jairus, who's a leader in the Jewish community, comes to Jesus and his daughter is sick to the point that she's dying. And he goes to Jesus and he asks if he would come and heal his daughter. And so Jesus agrees. And he goes with Jairus. And it says that as they were on the way to his house, a crowd began to gather around Jesus and began to press in around him. And the story goes on that there was a woman in that crowd who had had a bleeding disorder for 12 years. She exhausted all of her resources. Her finances were gone. She'd gone to every doctor she could find. And still she greatly suffered with this condition. And she pressed in a little bit further beyond the crowd, and she thought, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I'll be healed. She pressed in. She touched his garment. She was instantaneously healed. In fact, Jesus turned around and said, okay, who just touched me? And they said, how can you possibly wonder who touched you? You're being touched by all kinds of people. He goes, no. He said that there was power that went out from me, and so the lady confesses, and she she says it was me, and Jesus responds with tremendous grace. He just simply says, daughter, go, your, your faith has healed you. And then it says that immediately after that, some men showed up from the house of Jairus and told Jairus, your, your daughter's died. She's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. And Jesus said the words that encouraged me greatly, it happened to be morphine on Easter, was... Ignoring what they said, he said, don't be afraid, just believe. And the rest of the story is he goes and he heals Jairus' daughter as well. But what struck me a couple of weeks ago is, how upset would you be if you were Jairus? Knowing that you were next in line for the grace of God. You were, you were next in line for Jesus to heal your daughter and then some woman, and I realized she had a physical condition, but she jumped the line. She cut in the line of grace. And because she cut in the line of grace and she distracted Jesus for a period of time, how mad would you be to know the healing that was intended for your daughter went to that woman and your daughter now is dead? And it struck me how many of us, we view grace that way. That God, God touches a few, and, and there will be a few as long as you're in the right place in the line. It's like my buddy, my buddy Bob, years ago was in a line at a supermarket, and he only had to pick up three items. Total bill, he said, was less than $3. He goes up to the line, and a person said he could go ahead of them because they had a full shopping cart. He gets up in line, goes to the counter, lights start to go off. He's the whatever hundredth. 50,000th customer or whatever. They had a big celebration. All these balloons started to go out. And he said they came up to him and said, congratulations, you're our 100,000th customer. And because you're our 100,000th customer, everything in your cart today is free. 
And if I were the person behind him, I would say to myself, number one, I never should have let him go ahead of me. Number two, what a, what a waste. I could have had everything for free. It's the man at the pool of Bethesda. If you know the story, Jesus asked him what he wanted to do and if he wanted to be made well. And his answer was, yeah, but when the water stirs, no one is able to help me get down. And only the first person who gets in the water. It's Jesus' grace. God's grace is first come, first serve. And so if you're in the wrong place in line, tulip, too bad for you. Today's verse is absolutely contrary to that concept. Because in, in, in Psalm 23, David, as he's writing, says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You don't have to be a scholar to figure out what that verse means, right? My cup overflows. It means that if you're pouring water into a cup, you just keep on pouring it in and it just keeps flowing over and over and over. And David wasn't a guy where everything went well in his life. David had been through the loss of a child. David had been through a failed marriage. David had been the, the victim or at least the intended victim of a number of enemies, especially in, including those who were in his own family. David had had many hardships in his life. He even at the end of his life was at a point of frailty where he was sick almost unto death in those moments. But David focused on the fact that God's mercy, God's cup, God's grace had so poured out in his life that it just kept pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. That's why he could say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It wasn't that everything that happened in his life was rosy. It was simply that God kept showing up and showing up and showing up. Because Scripture indicates that God is not stingy with His grace. He is not stingy with His provision. God is abundant in His grace. In fact, it's what interesting. I love some of the verses. I, I told somebody after the service uh, first hour, I said, I said, some days I feel like I have to get up and just give you every Scripture I can find because there is so much in God's Word that speaks to this truth. And we need to see what the entirety of God's Word says. And so if you read 1 John chapter 3, John who writes these words, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Say to your neighbor, say lavished. Lavished. What does that mean? It means poured out in abundantly, just kept on giving to us. He says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Paul, different individual, different apostle, but has a very similar perspective. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this one. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every way you can possibly be blessed, you have been blessed in the heavenly realms. That's a declaration. That's a promise. John, back in John chapter 1, says it this way, is that he pours out through his grace blessing upon blessing, and the inference there is that his blessings just keep on coming. The rest of that passage says this. It says, um, 
it says in him verse 7 we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace here it is again that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding Man, if there's a big concept today, if there's a big truth, it's simply this, is that God does not squander His grace. God does not limit His grace. God pours out abundantly His grace in our lives. And for those of us who sometimes we focus so much on the fact that God's grace meets us in salvation, that's not wrong. It's just incomplete. His grace just pours out over and over and over as the old hymn of faith says he giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater and he giveth and he giveth and he giveth again is that the longer you are a believer hopefully the more you recognize just how much grace we need hey let me let me try this how many of you have been a believer follower of christ for 10 years or more raise your hand about well over half how many of you have been a follower of Christ for 20 or more years raise your hand not quite half maybe half how many of you have been believers 30 years if you raised your hand I hope you realize that today, 30 years later, you need His grace just as much as you did the first day. Please don't take this wrong, but we're no more worthy of heaven today than we were 30 years ago. We're cleaned up a bit. And we're worthy because of what He did for us still on the cross. And hopefully the longer you're a believer, the more you recognize you need His grace every single day in ways you never even dreamt it when you first started the journey. Because when you first started the journey, you were so overwhelmed by His forgiveness, you forgot about some of the other ways. Now, I gave you eight areas of abundance that the Father overflows in. There's no way we could possibly carry that so here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump real quick in just a couple of them. I'll do my best to fill in the blanks for you. And if I don't, you can all go to Pastor Brian when we're done and he'll fill in all the blanks for you afterwards. I know some of you right now are just like, oh no, i got to leave now. It's going to drive me crazy because number four is going to be left vacant. <laughs> Let me give you one. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So number one is, he pours out his forgiveness. doesn't limit his forgiveness. John says it this way. In John chapter 1, he says, if you say that you've never sinned, you're lying, you're deceiving yourself, and the truth isn't in you. But in verse 9, he says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means everything in my life that was stained from my past, it is forgiven. God cleanses me of that. But what's interesting is he doesn't stop there because as he goes into chapter 2, he says, my brothers, dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
This is not justification to just keep on living whatever, however you want to live. He says, I write this stuff to you so you won't sin. But if you do, we still have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ. He's the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. I love that passage because he says, listen, I forgive and I forgive and I forgive and I forgive and Paul says it back in chapter 6 he said this is not a of Romans he says this is not a justification for you to just keep on sinning so grace can abound but just understand that we sometimes feel like man I've blown it so much there's no way God could ever he pours out and he pours out and when he died on the cross it wasn't just eking out enough he lavished his love on us. Number two is connected to it because he also pours out his abundant restoration in our lives. Because we feel like we've gone so far from God, there's no way he could ever, ever restore us back into fellowship with him. And some know that. In fact, I will tell you that for those who grew up in the church, that's often the testimony. I often will do baptisms with individuals who are in their 30s or their 40s or their 20s or their 50s who tell the story of how, man, I knew about the Lord when I was a kid, but I wandered so far away and somehow God's grace met them and restored them in a powerful way and brought them into that father-son relationship with the Lord and met them wonderfully. And they want to get baptized because they want to express that to others. It's powerful in their lives. Luke chapter 15 is for me, over the last 10, 15 years, just one of my favorite gospel message passages. For those of you who've been around here for more than a couple months, you'll probably get sick of hearing the fact that I went to Israel a few weeks, uh, months ago. And when I went to Israel 20-some plus years ago, I went to an olive wood store and I bought what I felt was one of the most powerful truths of what it meant to be a pastor and to be a leader in the model of Jesus. And that was, I, I bought an olive wood carving of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I've showed it to you before. It sits in my office. It has ever since I was there in 98. This time I actually was praying about, I want to get another olive wood carving. I hadn't been there for years. And uh, by the way, prices have gone crazy holy cow I'm not saying that I didn't negotiate I did the salesman almost cried so I know I got a decent deal that's what I always go for if the salesman pays too much you or if the salesman doesn't cry you paid too much that's my philosophy of life I worked the guy he was on his knees he was begging me somehow I feel like he did okay and they both, I, I couldn't decide which one I wanted, they both came out of Luke 15. One was the image of Jesus with the sheep around his neck. The second was the prodigal's father receiving his son home. By the way, I opted for the second. What a picture. If you don't know the story, two sons were born to a father and the youngest son demanded his inheritance early and so he received his inheritance from his dad and he went out and he squandered it and blew it all and 
Scripture indicates that he, he lived a very sinful lifestyle. And when he finally came to his senses, he said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to beg for mercy from my dad. And Scripture indicates that when he came home, his father went out and met him and embraced him and hugged him and kissed him. And the Greek says, and kissed him over and over and over. Sounds a lot like lavishing his love on him, doesn't it? But Scripture also indicates there was a second brother and his second brother was so angry. Because when the father received his son home, he restored him. He gave him sandals. He gave him a, the family crest on his ring. He gave him a robe threw a big banquet for him and the second brother was so angry and he says I don't get it I've been serving you all these years you never once gave me a calf to celebrate with my friends and dad looked at the oldest son and said son you could have had that anytime you wanted just so you know the rest of the inheritance was his he just wouldn't embrace the inheritance he had you're saying, Pastor, what has this got to do with anything? Because I think all of us tend to shift and to slide toward one brother or the other. We either feel like we've blown it so much we could never come back to the Father, or we think that God's inheritance is so stingy that if somebody else has showed grace, we get angry because something's been taken from us. And I will tell you, let the theologians figure out the specifics of the dynamics, but I would simply say this, is that God abundantly pours out His restoration. And His grace isn't limited. He's not stingy. In fact, uh, Haddon Robinson said it this way, with him the calf is always the fatted calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy is unspeakable. The peace passes all understanding. There is no grudging in God's goodness. He does not measure his goodness by drops like a druggist filling a prescription. It comes to us in floods. Did you hear that? God does not measure his goodness by drops like the druggist filling a prescription. It comes to us in floods. If only we recognize the lavish abundance of his gifts, what a difference that would make in our lives if every meal were taken as a gift from his hand. It would be almost a sacrament. Number three, the father pours out his provision. Number four, Yep, I told you, we're going fast. Number four, the Father pours out His affection. You can read these for yourself. Meditate for yourself. But the one I want to focus on for a moment here is number five, the Father pours out His strength. Paul begging God to heal him. He says this, I begged God three times to remove this thorn in my flesh. Paul had something in his life that kept tripping him up. I'll tell you, most believe it was his eyesight. We know that his eyesight diminished enough throughout his ministry life that by the time he began to write his last few books, even the nature of the writing changed a little bit. It's because he acknowledges somebody else had to write for him. I wonder if it might be kind of a holdover 
from the road to Damascus when God struck him blind and when he was healed, there was something like scales that came off of his eyes. I kind of think of it this way, is that God forgives and God blesses us, but sometimes we pay the price for wrestling with him. Jacob had a limp the rest of his life after he wrestled with God. It was just a reminder of the, of the, of the victory that was won in those moments. And so I don't know if that was just a constant reminder. I don't know if it was something else. Maybe it was some sin in his life that he struggled. I don't know. Here's what I know. He says, I pled three times for the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness and insults and and hardships and persecutions and difficulties because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. And Paul says there is something about in those moments of life when I feel like I can't go on and I feel like I'm begging God to to take this out of my life. And for some reason, God says, "I'm I'm gonna leave it in your life, but I promise you, I will be the strength that carries you through that moment. And I know, I know David had those moments in his life. I know David wanted his son back from the dead when he was taken from him. I know that that David wanted his marriage saved. I know that David wanted somehow to have peace with these individuals in his life that wanted to take his life. And I will just tell you right now, those who chose to attack him from his own family, his father-in-law, his son they ended up dying because of their pursuit not because David took their life it was the result of their own attacks but he says my cup overflows he giveth and he giveth and he giveth again number six number seven Number six is he pours out his presence. Number seven, he pours out his protection. We need to close with number eight. He pours out life. It's not the kind of life that the world wants us to have. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The Amplified Version says the overflowing abundancy of life. The word is the word zoe, not bias. We want what? We want abundance of life. Bias. We uh, had a funeral here on Friday for a, a dear family member here at the church and Jerry Schember lived to 90 years of age. By most individuals, we would say that's a good long life. I would say that if you're 89, it still seems short. When Jesus offers life, He offers zoe, He offers quality, He offers purpose, He offers significance. And John 3.16 is probably one of the five to ten, if not the first most quoted verse in all of Scripture. Theologians will argue about what it means and doesn't mean and how to apply it. And I'll just be honest. Theologians are great at structuring systems and helping us to understand things. I'm not a theologian. I do believe that I'm 
a fairly decent biblical scholar. I got to be honest. I just believe what the Bible says. You say, Pastor, that's, that's silly. Yeah, it's all right. God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So when Jesus says that God so loved the world, I actually believe God loves the world. That He gave His one and only Son. I believe there's a purpose why Jesus came. That whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. I happen to believe that God's love is big enough. His grace is powerful enough. I happen to believe His provision is sufficient enough that whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, faith in Him, can have eternal life. I believe it. I believe in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul says that God's will is that all men be saved. I realize not everybody's saved. I'm going to let the theologians figure that one out. I just believe that that's God's desire. Once everyone. So when David says, my cup overflows, I wrote it this way. I thought it was a pretty good quote. Isn't it great to know that God has not limited by His power, His presence, or His love? He is able to move in all places at all times, and since God is not limited, He need not be stingy. And so I have in my heart this morning that as we close, that if you feel like you're in the need of God's grace, However that is, whether it be healing, strength for the day, enduring spirit, a relationship to be healed, or maybe you feel far from home and want to experience God's grace and restoration, or, or maybe you've got a begrudging spirit towards someone and you're asking for God's grace to forgive you of that unforgiving spirit and to pour out His love in your life, I believe God wants to pour it out today. And so, Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word, and uh, I've done my very best in a short amount of time to take us in the journey that I think You wanted us to go in today. I'm asking now, Holy Spirit, for you to do what it is you want to do. And I invited uh, prayer partners and uh, leaders and, and our church to be part of the prayer teams this morning. I'd like you all to come forward now, if you would, just to be ready. And we're going to have folks who would love to pray either for you or with you or however you want. If, if you'd like them to anoint you with oil, they will anoint you with oil. But if today you need God's grace to pour over your life, um, He's not stingy. And He's not limited, so I'd invite you to come. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you just stand with us? Lord, speaking into your heart.
I don't want to disrupt it right now by us dismissing yet. So if you'd like to come forward, we're here to meet with you, pray with you. We had a beautiful time of prayer, first hour. Now what I want you to do is just simply see the person next to you and say, go in the grace of God, be dismissed. God bless you as you go.